thank you to our listeners from around the world and survivors from all spaces and walks of life for sharing your stories responsibly. The Uni Podcast is now an affiliate of the Mental Health News Radio Network, the only podcast network in existence, serving as a beacon for mental health and wellness information, testimony, and resources. Welcome to the Uni Podcast. I'm your host, Bianca McCall, and today our journey begins in the fabulous Las Vegas, Nevada, and it takes us across the globe to connect with heroes in their own rights in the space of suicide prevention to help us reach a cure for suicide. Welcome back to the Uni Podcast. I'm your host, Bianca McCall. Today we have a very special guest with us, Miss Wendy Grant. Wendy, we as soon as you walked into the room, you know, this this whole process started, right? I mean, we jumped into a conversation. I think I asked like, "Hey, tell me a little bit about yourself." And uh and we were deep deep into, you know, sharing our stories. Um and so Welcome for the uni audience uh, to, to jump in on such an amazing uh, story of, of two survivors just kind of conversating about how we've survived, the things that we've been through. Um, these are true stories of triumph. Um, but before we, we jump back into our conversation, I definitely want to give some shout outs that, that are so important. Um, we wouldn't be able to, to have this safe space, uh, to be able to have this type of conversation without GTV radio. Thank you so much for having us in the studio. We are in here. Um, and like I said, safe space, our production team, everybody's working hard, uh, behind the cameras on social media and interacting with you, the uni community. Uh, we appreciate you continuing to listen to, uh, the uni podcast as well as getting involved in all of our initiatives. Um, this, is, this is a great thing to be a part of. We're on the Mental Health News Radio Network. Um, we're also working with iRelate. And if you go to iRelate, that's I-R-E-L, the number 8.org forward slash uni forward slash you'll be able to hit our landing page and, and get access to some great resources like peer supports at any time 24 7 they speak over like 56 languages it's it's amazing so i'm i'm just loving and and have so much gratitude for the community coming together uh to support survivors like wendy survivors like myself uh coming together and through storytelling connecting and inspiring others to come out of darkness to end the suffering in silence without further further ado, Wendy, will you please share with our audience a little bit about yourself, who you are, and what brings you to the Uni Podcast? Um, I am a survivor of suicide attempts. I'm also a rape survivor. I have been raped, gang raped, brutally beaten, and left for dead. Um, been through severe former marital issues. Um, abusive situations, um, family history. My father was an alcoholic and actively used most of the days that he was with our home. And um, I am grateful that I can be here today to share part of my story with you guys because um, my hopes in being here is to let other people that may be struggling with fear of talking about it to other people and saying uh if i share my stuff they're going to look at me different it's not about that it's about freeing yourself so that you know that that other person can possibly help you but the best part that i found over time is that when you 
share your hurt with someone else. You allow that person in to process the problem with you. Yeah. You allow yourself the freedom of the space that it was creating, uh, just holding on to you mm -hmm. and keeping a weight barrier that you couldn't free yourself of. And aside from that, you, you create room to heal. So lots love of good it. stuff going on there. Yeah, I love it. And, and what a great opportunity for us at the Uni Podcast to be a part of this piece of your journey. You know what I mean? Because in this creating space for some healing and, and for uh, forward progress, um, you just in the initial meeting or initial minutes of meeting you, uh, you're forced to be reckoned with. And so uh, for <laughs> us to be a, a part of that, you know, I, I'm so excited um, thank you for sharing um, that, you know, some of the experiences that you've been through. Um, I know that you had talked about, um, you know, and, and what's so important about this and just kind of backtrack. What's so important is that we have the mindset that we are surviving, you know, mm -hmm. these things that that you're not or no longer a victim of circumstance, but you're surviving. And and how difficult is that when you talk about um gang rape and abuse and, and, and um, you know, addiction histories, these are, that's tough to, mm -hmm. to all of a sudden have this kind of positive reframe, like, oh, yeah, right. but, and I'm surviving, you know? So how, how do you do that? Um, so for me, I am 11 years and a couple of months clean and sober, and um, I work every day trying to focus on helping other people, but there was a time in my life that it wasn't that way so um to share a little bit of my past if that's okay yeah please um, all please, right thank you so sharing a little bit of my past when i was growing up my dad was um uh, he was loving when he was not drunk mm -hmm. but when he was drunk he was very abusive and very physically um abusive and there were traumas in our family history, some that I won't speak of mm -hmm. for anonymity purposes. Sure. Um, but sure. there were situations where my dad would abuse my mom on a daily basis. So somewhere along the lines of the childhood, things that I watched him doing, it set a mindset for me thinking certain things were okay in life. Mm -hmm. And I didn't realize that until I got in recovery. Mm -hmm. Um so along the lines, my dad would beat on us on a regular basis, and my brother and sister, you know, they weren't the tomboy that I was, and mm -hmm. I was always into sports and anything that I could get into to occupy my time. And um, my dad, when he would beat on us, I was the one who was always trying to take on everything so at a, a very young age I learned to not cry mm -hmm. because my dad would say bitch I the, the longer you cry the more I'm gonna beat your ass right. and okay. you know after a little while you stop crying because you you don't want to keep getting whooped yeah yeah and I got the I'll give you something to cry about yeah, you know I so did. you stop crying yeah so yeah. as I grew up that was one of the things that um To this day, I still have a little bit of a hard time crying when I really want to cry about things. And it's not something that stays that way. But um, the biggest effects that I have is that it, it started becoming something that set on the depression and the anxiety and the anger. And for me, when I get depressed about something, I get mad. Mm -hmm. And I want to beat your ass over it. Yeah. So... 
as time went by, I was drinking on a regular basis. I was smoking weed, and then I started doing, um, by the time I was 18, I was full-blown alcoholic and didn't know it. But um, I was a full-blown alcoholic and snorting cocaine. I used the cocaine to come down from the drunk so I could get drunk again. Mm -hmm. But these were processes that I didn't realize were happening because I had addictive personalities and addictive disorders. Mm -hmm. And um, along the, the lines of that, I watched a lot of physical violence at home and spent a lot of time away from home trying to do everything that I could and you know I had I had a good life don't get me wrong I I, I adore my family and all that stuff but there there were things like some people have different problems ours was my dad was an alcoholic right. so I remember um I was 21 years old. I got married, and my son, um, my son was just a baby, and I had gotten to the point where I was starting feeling really, really, really depressed because drinking and drugging, and I got mm -hmm. a kid, and I shouldn't be doing this stuff, and why am I like this, and all the all the what ifs, and why, and right. why me, God? Right. So I remember one day. My kid was crying really bad, and I did this little number with my finger to my head, and I closed my eyes, and I could visualize my brains going out the other side of my head. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, whoa, that's not cool. So I called a doctor, and I said, mm, I think I need to come in and get checked out. I think something's wrong. So I go in, and I go to get checked out, and I told the lady, I said, listen, bitch, I'm not crazy. Mm -hmm. If I was, I wouldn't tell you this. Right. I'm telling you there's something wrong inside. There's something hurting. There's something wrong to make me feel the way that I'm feeling. Mm -hmm. And so they put me on some antidepressants, and somewhere along the lines, they kind of worked for a little bit, and then um, I played uh, tournament softball, and I was gone out of town on a tournament, and um, it turned out that, I had just got my prescription refilled, and they messed up, and they put the wrong medication in the bag. So it was a heavy-dose medication that made me have a psychotic episode driving down the road. Wow. So needless to say, me being the good addict that I was, I stopped taking it because I was going to self-medicate and not ever feel that way again because it was a really, really bad trip experience. And um, so... You take a, a person with um, depression and anxiety and um, big hole in their heart, feeling like something's wrong, mm -hmm. not knowing. I just continuously got worse until one day I attempted suicide. I took a whole bottle of my mom's high blood pressure medications, and I remember praying as I was fading out and saying, Dear God, please don't let me die. I didn't mean it. I don't want to yeah. die. And I woke up and I was like, I was kind of grateful and then I was kind of pissed off. But, you know, I went on about my way and things got a little better for a little bit. I slowed down with drugs and alcohol. And then I don't remember what happened, but something happened along the way and it 
got out of control again. Mm -hmm. Tournament softball, you know, after parties, you get crazy. Everybody's yeah. having a good time, and I'm not like everybody else. I can't drink just one. Right. And I can't smoke just one joint mm -hmm. or do just one line of cocaine. I want to do the whole sack. I want to drink the whole case, and I want to smoke the whole bag of weed. Mm -hmm. And keep on going till I pass out, that type of stuff. So I ended up eventually getting worse, and I stopped playing ball. My favorite thing in this world to do, Man, I stopped yeah. doing. Yeah. So... Um, and was it, was it because you weren't feeling the joy anymore or was it because, um, you felt like you could not play ball without the partying? I couldn't play ball without the partying and, and with the partying, I couldn't play ball either gotcha. because it had became, uh, excessive mm -hmm. and overpowering amount of abuse of drugs. So it got insane for a while. Yeah. So then I, uh, my son, you know, he was phenomenal. He didn't, he, he knew I was using drugs, but mm -hmm. he didn't ever say anything about it. And I thought I was being a good mom, you know, I really did. I thought I was being all that and a bag of chips and yeah. box of rocks and all that, mm -hmm. but it wasn't, um, it wasn't until um, I had my daughter, and uh, I was pregnant with my daughter in my addiction, which was eight years later. And um, I was eight months pregnant, and my daughter wasn't moving. And I was, I was about the size of my thigh. Mm -hmm. I was little. And you couldn't tell I was pregnant. Wow. And I was due to deliver. And um, my baby wasn't moving unless I'd hit the crack pipe. And mm -hmm. so I remember flagging a police down in Birmingham, Alabama, and saying, I need help. Mm -hmm. I knew I had warrants, but I didn't care anymore. I didn't care at all about that part because I had gotten to the level that I wanted to kill myself because I, did, I figured if I kill myself... I wasn't going to kill myself if I couldn't kill myself and the baby because I wasn't going to bring a baby into the world. Mm -hmm. And for those of you who, who might be watching this that might feel a little fucked up about what I'm saying, I apologize. We're just going to get a little deep for a second. <laughs> um, I was really, really depressed with it and um, suicidal to an extreme level that I'd never been. And I knew that I would not bring a child into the world the way that I was living. So I asked for help through a police officer. And um, the police officer paid to get me into a rehab facility. Wow. And wow. instead of taking me to jail, which he was supposed to, because I had warrants, he wasn't looking at the warrants. He was looking at a solution to a problem, mm -hmm. you know. And he took drove me from Birmingham all the way to my mom's house, 50-something miles away wow. to get clothes, called my mom, told her where I was, what was going on, and that he had gotten me into a treatment facility and that I really needed help. And at the time, my mom didn't really understand the, the depth of my addiction. Um, she thought it was her and that she had done something wrong. 
So once again, I had already fucked up somebody else's world. And um, the hard part was that I was just trying to figure a way out of everything I was doing in my life because I was hurting everybody and myself. Mm -hmm. And I was ready to kill myself, but I couldn't kill myself if I wasn't going to get rid of the child too, mm -hmm. which I even made an appointment to go have an abortion, but then I turned around and couldn't do it. Because that's not how it's brought up. So I go into the treatment facility and I carry my daughter for two more months. And miraculously, I went from a little 80 something pound soaking wet person to 160 pounds. Boom! Wow. In two months. Wow. And a beautiful big old fat belly and yeah. all that comes flourishing by the grace of God. My daughter was born drug free and healthy everything you know by the grace of god she didn't experience the the stigma that some of the people could uh, have yep. had to endure because of it mm -hmm. so i um i still beat myself up for a long 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 time over it because i couldn't understand why I had to continue and yeah. why I couldn't function without the drugs and my life got better for a minute and when my daughter was three months old I the guilt and shame took me right back out because I was sober and I just couldn't get it that I had a mental disorder that needed treating right right yeah. so um she was born beautiful all this amazing heart and soul, beautiful baby. But there was no way. Go ahead. You all good. Let's pause for a second. Screen, screen's out. I didn't realize, thank you. Uh -huh. I'm so in tune with you right now. I was like, oh, you were choking? Yeah, I was like, not black screen. Oh, uh, no, I was like, leave it. I'm like, wow. <laughs> I'm like, She's like, come to boobs. Listen, if we're in here into this, I know the way I don't know. Are you getting a call? I just yeah. was pausing. Oh, okay, I didn't know if no. you had uh -uh. to take it. No, uh-uh, that, that's why I do it this way. I just get <laughs> I oh, your I gave, phone, yeah. Come on. Oh. No, I'm, uh, I, know, I gave her my phone because I... Uh, uh, <laughs> no, girl. Yeah, no, I was like, oh, my gosh, I got to get out of here. Look, I was, I was trying not to cry because, uh, like I said, I can control that shit. <laughs> I can't. That's the one thing I can control in my world. Yeah, right. Ah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I remember some of the days I would talk about my stuff, you know. Yeah. That's that's the difference today is that my life is an open book. I don't I don't feel the need to hide from anything I've done or where I've been, where I'm going and what I want to achieve in life. Yeah. So, so you said something too earlier when we were talking about um are we back now? Yeah, are we strolling before you get in get in yeah. here again? Okay. Okay. This is one of those days. Just <laughs> one of them days. <laughs> Go ahead. Don't take it. <laughs> don't, don't start a song. Hey, especially not a 90s look, song look, with a microphone around. Hold up. Now, I get, I get it gone. I might not sound so good, but it's all right. <laughs> like I said, I ain't bashful. So, so you said something earlier uh, that resonated with me. 
And I think it's something that, you know, we all feel. But in the very beginning, when we first started talking, um, I shared with you a little bit about my story. Mm -hmm. And you said, ah, thank you for sharing your story, because otherwise I would have been like, why are you asking me that? Like, you wouldn't have felt comfortable sharing your story unless I was vulnerable and I was Mm -hmm. open and honest and and shared um, that this is where I am. Right. And it resonated with me that that was your experience because I, I mean, that right there is, is almost like the cure, right? Like that's what we need to be doing mm-hmm. and focus on right now is we have to humble ourselves, you know, enough to be able to say, Hey, uh, it's, it's more than me too. It's more of like, um, let me share, you know, my story. And, and when we talk about emerging as leaders, as survivors that are mm-hmm. leaders, there's a level of transparency that has to come along with that. Absolutely. We have to be able to say, you know what, I'm not, it's, it's not like, oh, I'm, I'm a clinician and, and I, you know, I know everything mm-hmm. and I'm perfect. Um, but meanwhile, I go home and, and I struggle. No, it's I'm a person, you know, I'm a survivor mm-hmm. too. And that's what creates the safe space uh, right. for people to be able to share. And so I wanted to make sure before we went too far along that, that we highlighted that piece because that that's it right there. That's the first step. And that's how uni community, everybody could participate mm-hmm. in this process of uh, just empowering each other, you know, and, and recognizing each other as survivors and as right. experts in the space. So I appreciate you you bringing that to light, bringing that to fruition for me. You also just mentioned that, you know, along your process, you were feeling like, um, there I go, just fucking shit up again, or there, there yeah. I go, hurting everybody around me again. Mm-hmm. How much of that was or is um, kind of the shame and the guilt that... Okay. So talk to me about that. Talk to me about shame and guilt for somebody who is in recovery. So for me, the guilt and the shame consumed me for, um, I I don't know if I gave the depth of it, but I was a 27-year active alcoholic and drug addict. Mm -hmm. And it took me 27 years to identify, and my last trip to jail um, helped me to identify when I first said um, in June of 2009, I first admitted I was an alcoholic. Hmm. Because my dad was an alcoholic, Billy Badass didn't ever want anybody to know. I didn't want to be like my dad because Mm -hmm. he was a fuck-up in my eyes. Mm -hmm. But I couldn't tell anybody else that because I love my dad. I couldn't tell you that he hurt me. Mm -hmm. I couldn't tell you that he hurt my family, that he abused us in more ways than... You can count. Mm-hmm. But I could tell myself that over and over and over in my head all day long. Yeah. And it took me um, seven different treatment facilities. Wow. So we'll get into the depths of it. Yeah. Took seven treatment facilities, um, seven rehabs, mm-hmm. and um, the last go-round to actually finally work those steps. And I understood what it meant about honestly, thoroughly, willingly, and openly. Mm-hmm. And the reason why it was so important for me to acknowledge that part is because I lead by example today for other people to see that I know I left one integral part of my stuff from my past out that I thought nobody knew about. Mm-hmm. 
and that was the prostitution. I hid from that for 12 years, but I kept going back out because the guilt and shame was killing me. Yeah. I couldn't admit it to myself. I had lied to myself so much I believed that stuff. Hmm. So I thought that nobody else knew it. And when I finally admitted it in my fifth step this last go-round in uh, August of 2009, it was crazy because I said, when I, uh, my sponsor at the time, she was like, she took me to egg works and we're, we're eating and I'm all nervous and jittery and that, mm-hmm. just not my normal bullshit and self. <laughs> you know, I always got something spicy to say and yeah. always up to something. But yeah. this day I was really nervous and she goes, what in the hell is wrong with you? <laughs> I said, um, I don't know. I'm just a little bit nervous. And she said, about what? I said, well, I'm scared about doing this fist step. She said, why? I said, because I'm afraid that when I tell you my shit, that you're going to look at me different. Mm-hmm. And it never really mattered to me before how somebody else looked at me. But this does matter because I'm telling you everything. Yeah. I went back and I prayed and I asked God to give me anything that I might be hiding from and denying myself the right to tell yeah. so I didn't have to live it again because I didn't want to hurt it that way anymore. I said, so my question is... Are you going to look at me differently? So she she laid all her shit out on the table. And I'm like, whoa, dude. I'm like, this bitch got some fucked up shit going on. So, for real, that's what I was thinking. But I didn't tell her that. Yeah. You know, because that's how addict minds think. And at least mine. I'll, I'll claim my own shit. I won't claim everybody else's. But um, <clears throat> for me... Being able to free myself and share it out loud in the open, just like we're doing right now. It says in the recovery realm, it says one addict helping another addict. There's a therapeutic value that's without parallel because we can identify with each other in ways Mm -hmm. that nobody else can. Mm -hmm. Same applies to every aspect in life. Right. It also says in the recovery realm, it teaches us practice these principles in all our affairs. Mm-hmm. You know, that's like in my living expense, experiences, if I continue to live and breathe and act and react in a recovery sense and I practice it in my daily affairs, mm-hmm. tomorrow I'll get here when it gets here. Right. I can only live in today. I might worry about tomorrow, but i got to stay in today because t- tomorrow can get me loaded. Right. But if I'm just right here right now, I'm okay. If I start answering my phone when it rings 500 times while we're trying to talk, <laughs> or if I get into everything that I can't do, then I've set myself up for failure. So for me, the stigma, the, the shame and the guilt and the remorse and all of that, even the... The remorse took me to another level of a suicide attempt. Mm -hmm. Years later, um, I moved to Nevada in two. Well, excuse me, that's a lie. In 1998, Uh running from the police, and um, I was really strung out on crack cocaine. And so I got on a Greyhound bus and I came here with a friend of mine, Mm -hmm. and I got into. Drugs really heavy, trying to, my ex-husband looked at me prior to me leaving on a Greyhound bus. Um, It was my daughter's birthday, and my ex-husband caught me in a motel 
getting high and um you know we used to get high together but all of a sudden he's mr righteous and i'm miss wrong mm -hmm. and everything about me was wrong so i it rang in my ears for many many years the words that he said they they really fucked my whole world up for many years he says if you can't be a mother to your children why don't you just fucking disappear mm. so i did I got on a Greyhound bus and I left. And I remember going in and telling my kids, I love you more than life itself, but mommy's got some things I got to straighten out. Mm -hmm. And I left and didn't communicate with anybody for almost two years, hiding from everything. Yeah. And um, I remember when I first called my mother, she cried and was freaked out and the only reason I called my mom then was because I got ran over I was trying to rob a trick he pushed me out of his vehicle and ran over me at oh front and back tires of a uh, van and it broke my collarbone and left road rash all the way down my body mm -hmm. and oh my finger to this day it's a little crooked mm -hmm. and it lit, pulled this finger out lifted it up and set the bone this bone was on back here mm -hmm. And I was so high that my mental stability was just gone. Mm -hmm. And I thought that if I went to the hospital, I was going to get arrested. Instead mm -hmm. of thinking about the fact that I got a uh, collarbone actually pressing into my lung and I couldn't breathe, I wouldn't go to the hospital because wow. that mental disability there. And um, I remember finally calling my mom when I was at the point that I thought I was going to die. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want them to think that I didn't love them. So that was kind of one of those first breaking points that says something's wrong here. you got yeah. you got to get some help. So a little while later, I ended up going to prison. Jaywalking ticket got me in prison because I was so high. I signed a, I signed a... 10-year cap saying that if I got in trouble again, I was going to go to prison. Mm -hmm. I just wanted out. I just wanted to go smoke some more dope. Right, right. I didn't care what I signed. I did not read it. I did not care. Mm -hmm. I went to prison behind that signature um, almost a year later for a jaywalking ticket. So I did 14 months in prison and came out and the whole time I was there you know I had built a communication with my family again mm -hmm. and I thought that while I was there I had mentally let my mind and got a pretty powerful mind even though I got some mental disorders there I got a powerful mind that says I can just shut time off and the world's going to stand still out there and wait for me when I get out. So when I got out of prison, I had a rude awakening coming because yeah. nothing was the same. Right. Nobody that I knew was where they used to be. Mm -hmm. And all of my whole world was turned upside down again. There goes another problem. So, And what year was this when this you got out? This was I, the first time I got out was in 2000. I went back for a revocation because... I got mad with my PO, and she, I was 18 months clean and sober, and she kept telling me that I was high every time I went in. And mm. finally, I was like, fuck you, I'll show you I'll get high. Yeah. And so I ended up getting loaded, and the next thing you know, I'm back in prison again. Um, so I expired the case, and I got out, and um, I honorably discharged and got on the right track for a while, and 
things were good mm-hmm. and life was going well and I don't remember life happened and I got high again mm-hmm. and uh, it went on back and forth for a little while and this is it was kind of crazy because in 2009 I went to jail for the last time I'll skip that the excess there because it was a bunch of just using drugs and mm-hmm. just nonsense but I remember the last time I went to jail was uh, June 14th, 2009. Actually, it's June 13th in the middle of the morning. And um, so it was June 14th, like mm-hmm. 3 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And um, it's kind of like a divine intervention thing because I had never even seen the police go to the passenger side of a car and ask for the passenger's ID. They didn't <laughs> ask for nobody else. They asked for mine. I, I had prayed that day right in front of the Safari Motel. I was... Walking it and over to buy my last nine dollars and eighteen cents worth of crack, mm-hmm. and I I remember praying and telling God, you know what God I can't take this anymore. If you don't get me out of this, I'm gonna take me out of it. I'm fucking done. Mm-hmm. And I remember it as if it was yesterday. And um, I said, if you just get me to jail for thirty days, dude, I'll do the rest. Mm-hmm. That night I went to jail, mm-hmm. and I was kind of pissed off about it. I forgot how that quick <laughs> that I had prayed for it. Right. And um. My friend, I, I had been over at his house earlier, and uh, the girl that I was there with, it was part of the, the leading factors that led up to it. She had a little girl, and the little girl um, had been feeding herself and all this stuff. And it just really mentally messed with me to a level that I couldn't, um, I couldn't handle. Mm-hmm. And it put the guilt and shame over having left my kids with my mom because I wasn't responsible enough to be a mom, da-da-da-da-da. So um, I told my friend, I said, I'm done. I'm fucking done. I'm not doing this anymore. I can't. I'm done. Mm -hmm. And I said, look, if you can just watch the little girl for me for a little while, I'll leave the little girl's name out, but I to this day remember it. I just need to sleep. I need to eat something, and I need to feed this little girl, and then I need to sleep mm-hmm. because I got something I need to do. And um, I slept for like 12 hours, and I got up that evening, and the mama came back, and she had been out on a runner, and she picked me up, and we went out. We were going to go hustle some money, and sure enough, we no sooner got up and I headed up the hill and got pulled over, and I had um crack pipe on me, and... It's okay. I had a crack pipe on me, and I stuffed it in her seat. Mm-hmm. And um, I got called out, and they ran my name, and I, of course, had a beer. Mm-hmm. And I had poured it in a cup because I was trying to come down, and I was trying to just do things and get out of that. Yeah. Um, so I remember I got talking to the police and I'm like oh fuck I'm gonna get in trouble for this beer I'm like I'm going to jail for a beer I'm like he goes what's that in that cup I said a beer can I drink it he said nope I said well can I pour it out he said no I said then I'm drinking it because if you gonna write me up for it I'm gonna go ahead and drink it he said no you can't you can't you can't and I turned around he walked back to 
run my name and I poured it out and I got a citation for pouring it out. Uh, and I got a citation for having an open container in a vehicle. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then, of course, they searched the vehicle. Nobody else had even been ID'd. And they found the pipe, and, of course, they charged me with it. And I, um, I got charged with open container, possession of paraphernalia, and a jaywalking warrant that I hadn't taken care of. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, needless to say, I went to jail. I spent 58 days in jail, and um, by this time I had already asked for help and said that the lady asked me, she goes, you know, if you, if we could do one thing for you to help you, a lady by the name of Jerry Davis, she worked with the city of Las Vegas. She says, Miss Grant, is there anything we can do to help you? I said, No. You were, you're the police, bitch. The police ain't never want to do nothing to help me. Uh-uh. <laughs> And she says, Miss Grant, I'm going to ask you again, if there was anything we could do to help you when you get out of jail, what would it be? It says on your uh, your paperwork that you're homeless. I said, bitch, I ain't homeless. You know, that 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 mental mm -hmm. covering, because I, I got this. I don't need your help. Yeah. yeah. And something broke at that moment, and I started crying, and I said, you know what? I lied to you. I said, let me tell you something. I got a key to an apartment in my property right now. It's an old man that I've been sleeping in his apartment mm -hmm. for a long time. I'll take that old man's whole Social Security check. I, I'll take his whole food stamps. Mm -hmm. By the time I walk out the door, he's going to hand me a celebratory beer because I'm out of jail and I'm free. Uh -huh. And I'm not going to know anything better because I don't know how to live without alcohol. Right. I said, I'm an alcoholic. Now, I mean, it was like somebody opened the floodgates. Wow. I couldn't stop crying. And that was the first time I'd ever admitted I was an alcoholic. And so I asked her for some help. And she tried to put me into inpatient treatment. And I told her, I said, I said, nah, done been to seven treatments. And if that didn't work, I'm not getting locked down again. I've done all the time I'm going to do. Mm -hmm. If you can get me into outpatient treatment, I'd be willing to do that, but I'm not going to be doing any more lockdown time. Mm -hmm. It's not happening. She said, well, I could probably get you into West Care. And I said, okay. How many days is that? You know, mm -hmm. addict behavior. I don't, I don't want to give you too much of my time. Right. So she first started telling me that I was going to have to go every day of the week. And I said, nope, not doing it. And I finally agreed to three days a week outpatient treatment, intensive outpatient, because I had the dual diagnosis, rape trauma, mm -hmm. mental diagnosis, um, depression, anxiety for, the, for that person who might be listening that doesn't know when they say a dual diagnosis, it doesn't mean that you're crazy. It means that you've got mental health issues such mm -hmm. as anxiety, depression, um, suppressive emotions. Like I did that for many years, and I didn't know that that was a problem. Right, right. Um, but once I started working in group sessions and started discussing the rape traumas and I was able to free myself of that in the open air with other people, I found that there were other people that shared a common ground that I did. Right. And I started to heal. Mm -hmm. And then when I worked the steps in recovery, um, I was in sober living when I got out of jail and... I, shortly after that, I became a 
assistant house manager for um, a place called Pioneer House with um, some awesome people in recovery. And I worked doing that at six months sober. I was, I was actively working, helping other people. And then I just continued, and I went to college, and I started studying, and I wanted to identify. But realistically, the whole time I was going to college, I wanted to understand. They asked me to write a thesis on why I needed to go, uh, why I wanted to study psychology. Mm -hmm. And I said, because I want to uh, learn to understand what makes me think, act, react, and behave the way that I do. Right, right. I needed to know why I did all that stuff I did. Mm -hmm. Because I got OCD and obsessive compulsive disorder, you want to understand everything in a meticulous mm -hmm. way. Mm -hmm. So once I got to the understanding of my own stuff, I was able to help other people identify mm -hmm. and to understand them. And one of the best gifts of my recovery today is that I am able to be an effective listener. I can identify and share my um, issues and share a common ground with somebody mm -hmm. and not look on them and judge them. I can talk shit and have a good time with them and still be me. Yeah. The way that life is so effective and personal with me and how I, with my job that I work with, Share Village, Las Vegas, mm -hmm. I get a one-on-one -on -one personal relationship with mm -hmm. hundreds of individuals on a daily basis that struggle with Interpersonal disorders, mm -hmm. and some of them mental health disorders, some of them um, substance abuse, some of them just need to be able to understand themselves. They've been through traumas, especially mm -hmm. the veteran community. The veteran community has um, PTSD order, uh, disorders that they've gone through that they need to understand how to, how to cope. Mm -hmm. And... I went through training, veterans clinical cultural competency trainings to understand how to identify with them. And today, one of the best things that I've got is my recovery because at a little over 11 years, I am able to let people talk to me mm -hmm. and talk to them and share experience, strength, and hope instead of saying, well, oh my God, I'm going to, I'm going to, I can't ever help you. Right. I'm going to fall. I don't look at life that way today. I look at it as how can I help you help yourself? Right. Because life is worth learning the other side of it now. Mm -hmm. There was a time when I thought it was all about um, I'm never going to make it to 50. I'll be 55 this year. I made it past what I thought I was going to yeah. do. Yeah. So, you know. I mean, such such powerful and important pieces of of your journey. Um, first, I, I think it's the point that you are willing to, and you you have again a safe space to to be able to understand yourself. You know what I mean? I I can relate to this. You know, in my in my own journey, um, similar similar. Uh, motivations for wanting to continue my education is I, I need to figure myself out. I need to figure out my family and, and, mm -hmm. and why I, I moved and shaped the way that I did. And and to me, I think that's a commonality amongst survivors and, mm -hmm. and surviving trauma is 
there's there has to be a point there has to be kind of that opening um and then again that fellowship right. you know with with others that share in those lived experiences um there's got to be that and there's got to be this this motivation this desire to want to understand and this education right mm-hmm. so it's it's the same thing as we see with every kind of community action plan right we've got right. awareness we've got education and training right. um and and to do that for yourself, to invest in yourself, mm-hmm. um, is is powerful, you know. And, and in order to invest in yourself, you have to um, you have to feel as though you're worth it, right? Or right. that this is worth it. And and for you, um, I know you described it as kind of like I had this moment, mm-hmm. you know. In looking a little bit deeper into that, like what what do you think it was? What, what was that moment? The moment that that allowed me to want to change and help other people. Yeah, just be. And, and you talked about with Miss Davis, right? That uh-huh. that you were just honest, like you just decided. You know what? Enough of the bullshit. This is my issue. You know, I'll, I I realistically I thought about it for many many years, and all I can say is that I had prayed for years for God to show me how to not keep doing what I was doing because I couldn't. I couldn't. I could not take it anymore. Yeah. I was I was done. I was broke. I was over it, mm-hmm. and I didn't want to live anymore. Mm-hmm. And God gave me what I asked for in that moment in time and allowed me to say, here's my breaking point. Here's my moment that, that I'm here to help mm-hmm. you. I'm going to catch you when you fall. Go ahead and fall because mm-hmm. you're in a safe space to do so. Whatever the moment that happened that day, I've never experienced it in my life. I can tell you that it was the most freeing thing that ever happened yeah and aside from the fact uh there was a couple of things that i left out of my story that's critical things um i didn't have a working relationship with my family Mm -hmm. for many years because of my addiction Mm -hmm. um i at six months sober a friend of mine in december of 2009 a friend of mine gave me an opportunity to fly home and see my family. Mm-hmm. And I remember the first time in recovery seeing my daughter, and she was yeah. 14. Wow. You know? Wow. And um, I was terrified. <laughs> I remember hugging her and pushing her away, and I said, I'm sorry, i got to learn how to accept this because I don't know how to feel what I'm feeling right now. Yeah. But to be able to tell her that, it freed her to where she could tell me that she didn't know how either. Yeah. And it was scary. It took a long time for us to build a relationship. And mm-hmm. I got a, I think what I would call an amazing relationship with my daughter today. Mm-hmm. My son, I've never broke the bond with him. We've always had a phenomenal relationship. Mm-hmm. And um, my mom, she and I are like best of friends today. Yeah. And my mom is battling cancer right now. And, um, I am grateful that I get to be there for my mom mm-hmm. today because um, I remember my mom telling me when I first called her, you know how I used to know when you were okay? She said, I, I looked for the times for you to go to jail because at least then I knew you were safe. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So there were there were a lot of critical times, but, you know, I just recently was home with my family, and I got a chance to— spend time with my family my brother um who i didn't have a working relationship for a long time with Mm -hmm. over my addiction um we have an amazing relationship today and 
I, if I could express to anybody the importance of finding that 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 motivating factor that says just do it like yeah. like Nike said just do it right right <laughs> don't, don't be bashful it's okay because yeah. when you dip your toes in the water just a little bit it's scary but if you jump in right it, it, it's real scary mm-hmm. it takes your breath away for a minute but I promise taking a fresh clean breath of air is always better yeah I, I know I'm living breathing proof that I went from somebody who was what I consider hopeless, useless, worthless, self-worth, had none. Mm-hmm. Um, many, many other defining characteristics that I had labeled myself. Mm-hmm. I learned to identify with the fact that I could have a God of my my choosing. I could be that daughter, mm-hmm. mother, friend, employee. Right. Um, the sounding voice and the sounding bored Mm -hmm. i can do a whole lot of things i used to couldn't do i have empowered myself with the right to live today yeah by choice of change Mm -hmm. through people helping do what you do and i just personally want to thank you for sharing your story with me because Mm -hmm. it helps me to identify and helps you to see that other people struggle from a different viewpoint. Right. You struggle wanting a kid. I struggle wanting a kid and then not knowing how to have it. Right. Not knowing how to be a mother. Not know. And I thought I was all that and a good mom. And then in recovery, I found that I might not have been the best mom. And then I had to acknowledge that. Mm-hmm. And I had to learn how to say, okay, let's just start from here. I mm-hmm. can't go back and fix that yeah. because if I keep trying to fix it, I'm going to stay broken. Mm-hmm. But if I just start from today and do the next right thing every single day, my life is going to be good. Chances are I'm going to help somebody else today. Yeah. And life's worth living. It's, it's so awesome. Such an amazing story. And, and again, I mean, there's these pieces that I just I need for our audience and, and for everybody in the room to leave with is that it's the, it's the starting from here, starting from today that I think is is one of the most challenging pieces of, of survivorship, right? Because mm-hmm. it's so ingrained in us. We talk about it all the time. It's ingrained in us to constantly look backwards, to constantly look at the past, to mm-hmm. study and memorize our history. And although, yes, in, in some cases, history can repeat itself, the reason why it can repeat itself is because if we're constantly looking in the rear view, then we don't see the, the crash or the danger up ahead yeah. or in front of us. And so... Um, that is just a a powerful piece, you know, for, for any survivor in their journey Mm -hmm. is to, you know, you're empowered to make these positive choices when you're looking forward, right. And and changing things from today and from this moment. I also want to just talk about, you know, I guess the reason why we talk about, um, the subject of suicide, you know, when we talk about recovery, when we talk about, uh, past traumas and, and, and stress and anxiety, depression, um, Suicide is a part of that conversation, and, and for a lot of people, that's uncomfortable. You mm-hmm. know, it's uh, a lot of people think about suicide as though somebody wakes up one day, you know, and, and there's that, that danger, that fear that they're just going to decide, hey, I, I want to end my life without looking at it kind of like a spectrum, you know, without mm-hmm. looking at it like um, it's a progression, right? Because right. early on, for a lot of us, we're doing some non-suicidal but but behaviors that are injuring right. ourselves or killing parts of ourselves. Yes. And 
some of that is acceptable in society, mm-hmm. right? So drinking, having a good time, like you said, being on the ball team and, and partying after, it's acceptable. Right. You know, it's, it's not only acceptable, it's a part of the culture, right? Mm-hmm. And so for the listener that's out there that, that you know, and I'm not trying to, to label or to scare people, but I just want people to be aware of their own patterns, you mm-hmm. know, and, and, and at what point can you share with the listener, at what point do you... Uh, maybe need to have that conversation with yourself, you know, to say this this isn't okay, or 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 um, I I need to add value to my life. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, at, at what point does somebody know somebody know that they're at this part in their journey? It's time to step up to the plate. So for me, um, in the point where I knew that I needed to step up to the plate was when I started. I knew there was something wrong when I was. There's that little voice in your head, and no, I'm not talking about the voices that the psychiatrist asks you, do you need medication for? I'm talking about that little inner voice that says, dude, I can't do this anymore. I can't stand who I've become. I don't like this. I don't want to be like this. Why am I like this? If you start hearing those voices in your head, mm-hmm. your own self-perception creating a Flashing red light yeah. in your head, yeah. so to speak, that says, danger, Will Robbins, I'm in trouble. <laughs> right. You know, listen to it. Mm-hmm. Listen to that still small voice that's instilled in your head because it's there mm-hmm. to protect you. Mm-hmm. That's your God voice. Yeah. If you don't believe in God, then it can be your light bulb voice. Whatever yeah. your, your higher power is, it don't matter. Yeah. Yeah. Just listen to that prompting in your head because it it, it is a safe point that... Every person in this world was born with. Mm-hmm. We all have identifying feelings, thoughts, perceptions, acceptance, reactions, mm-hmm. behaviors, all yeah. those things. Yeah. But there's identifying markers when we see our life changing and we become unacceptable mm-hmm. with our own eyes. Mm-hmm. Take a look. Maybe write it down. Write down the things, the pros of, uh, of your feelings and the cons of your feelings. Mm-hmm. Why am I feeling this way? Have I changed a behavior or action or reaction? Or has something been done to me? Right. If, if For that person who's out there that might have been struggling with um, sexual traumas, you know, you don't have to be a female to ha- struggle with that. Mm-hmm. You can be a male. You can uh, suffer from severe military. There's a huge stigma in that, and there are major military traumas with male and female mm-hmm. and for the transgenders it's horrible right now yeah you know for anyone who suffers with any type of sexual traumas um my personal suggestion is that you talk to someone seek help mm-hmm. don't hold it in because it might not take you to suicide immediately Mm -hmm. but it can lead to suicidal ideations Mm -hmm. which the ideations are more dangerous in a lot of ways because they take you to a place that you probably never ever thought you could go to mentally yeah and it becomes um impossible to live with yeah well it's it's the same thing um that we talk about in the recovery space, you know, 
so many stories um, that share this experience of when they first start using and abusing. It's I would never do that. Yeah. I, I would never. You would never catch me like that. It's it's us and them. I'm not you know this type mm-hmm. of person, right? But the more and more you indulge and abuse, mm-hmm. then the closer you get to actually doing that, right? Yes. And it's the same thing for people that are say, I would never you know think about suicide and and that's selfish and that's this and that's yeah. that. But the more that you do the non-suicidal but self-injurious behavior, the closer you get to that. You know? And so um, we would be remiss to not discuss or have suicide as a part of the discussion for any of these life experiences where mm-hmm. we're really uh, we're, we're used to and we have the pattern of hurting ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and on the other side of that, we can't have discussions about suicide without talking about the triumphs and the survivorship Absolutely. because there, there is hope, there is strength, um, there is a community of survivors that's out there and, 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 and we're growing, we're right. growing. And so, um, so let's start talking about how we're surviving so that we can inspire and we can continue to grow and scale to be a global, you know, resource, a global support, you know, because it's, it's necessary, you right. know. And, and there's something else that, that I want to say, too, uh, before, before we, we let go. Um, you know, you mentioned these, these experiences with, with law enforcement. And for me, I mean, it's, it's, it's funny, it's not funny, um, you know, but especially right now with the civil unrest and, and the social injustice, um, there's this perception of law enforcement that they are the enemy, you know, and, and um, I'm not going to, to justify, you know, the, the things that have been done, especially, you know, as I, as I speak from a member of the black community, um, I'm not going to minimize or diminish the anger and the hurt and the pain mm-hmm. and the trauma that, that's going on um, right now in society. But I, I do want to highlight the law enforcement that came into your life. Mm-hmm. I want to I wanna highlight and say to those members of law enforcement, thank God for, for you. You know, the, for, for the officer that drove you 56 something miles, uh, to 58 miles, one way, 58 miles, one way, um, to, he had the to go officer, back to, the, to Birmingham to be able to take me to the treatment facility. I mean, it, to me, that is what more officers should be doing. And, and I hope that if we have any law enforcement that is listening or watching, um, that they see that this is the this is a potential outcome. Mm-hmm. If there was more compassion, if there was more officers that instead of you know I'm going to kick your ass, kill you, bring you to jail, whatever you mm-hmm. know is is what you're supposed to what you think you're supposed to do. If there's more compassion, if there's more, let's look for a a solution to this problem. Right. You know, let's look at why I have somebody coming to me or presenting to me with these issues. If there are more of those officers that drove 58 miles one way, you know, we could have more survivors, right. more people that are doing good in the community. If there's more officers that ask the question maybe one more time, you know, because in mm-hmm. the jails, I, I already know, you know, that it could be just, oh, here you are. Here you go again. You know, um, <laughs> you're, you're not going to do you're not going to do nothing. She doesn't want any help, you know, and, and so many, too many will just let people go, you know, let mm-hmm. people, people die, you know, right. but if there are more officers like Miss Davis, Officer Davis, that says, are you sure there's nothing that we can't do for you? Is there, are you sure, you know, that, that, you know, if there's not more of that, then we don't have, 
your amazing story to share, right. you know? And so I, I want to highlight what those officers have done and, and say thank God for them mm-hmm. and, and other officers or other law enforcement uh, that, that are joining us. Please use that as an example. Right. Because we need it. So um, in that respect, there are many, many, many other officers that along the way when I was sitting in jail ready to commit suicide, that they, I remember one time sitting in prison and I was at Silver Springs Mm -hmm. at fire camp. In the middle of the night, I couldn't go to sleep. And I remember uh, one of the corrections officers took me to the rotunda and sat with me for hours talking while I tried to process what I was feeling because I felt like fuck up again. Mm-hmm. And um, there's many, many stories that I could tell. Um, my grandfather was a retired police. Mm-hmm. Never, never angry or rude or disrespectful to anybody in my mm-hmm. entire life. The only thing he ever did that I saw was eat a lot of donuts and drink a lot of coffee. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, <laughs> this is stereotype. Yeah, yeah, but for real, that was the truth because yeah. he did foot patrol, and I used to do it with him when I was a kid. And, um, you know, there's many times in my past in my addiction that the police officers saved my life. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of assholes that were along the way, too. So I'm not going to say there's a, a, a stigma, yes or no. Mm-hmm. I won't label on it. Either way, mm-hmm. I have I have some issues that happened in my past with police, mm-hmm. yes. But I can't say that it's every one of them because there's right. so many that really do care. Mm-hmm. There are some that are not worth the material that's on their uh, their clothing they wear on their back. Yeah. It should be ripped off of them. Mm-hmm. But the good by far outweighs the bad mm-hmm. in all aspects and I th- Thank God for every every police officer that puts on their uniform today mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because there's so many things going on and going wrong in this world right now. Mm-hmm. We need people to remember to be grateful and thankful that they woke up today, mm-hmm. thankful that somebody cared enough to say good morning. Yeah. You know, yeah. a lot of people don't know how to do that in Las Vegas, but yeah. good morning, America. Good morning, America. Yeah. <laughs> ah. So I'm just I'm truly grateful for you guys. Wendy, and I'm grateful for you, too. Thank you. Thank you so much um, for coming on the Uni Podcast and sharing your story, uh, being open, honest, transparent, um, and and being an inspiration, I think, for survivors everywhere, you know, even even for me, um, you know, being able to, to share our stories and find these points of connection where I could relate. You know, it, it makes me feel like, okay, I'm, I'm not the only one. You know, I can continue to survive, you know, right. uh, to, just to have these types of experiences. So I'm, I'm extremely grateful for you coming on and, and sharing that. Can I share me. one more thing? Yeah, please. Um, I just wanted to I share. I we just got a, this spot all night. So. I just <laughs> wanted to share one more little bit about um, my job because I did get authorization to talk about where I work, awesome. what we awesome. do, and anybody who's struggling with mental health issues who needs someone to talk to. Um, you plug I, your job. I'm going to plug mine right after that. I got you. <laughs> okay. uh, um, the owner's name of our company is Arnold Stock. His phone number is 702-624-5792. His email is Arnold, A-R-N-O-L-D-S-T-A-L-K at gmail.com. Um, we 
are an organization called Share Village Las Vegas, formerly known as Veterans Village. We help veterans and others who have found themselves in a homeless situation who need a jumpstart in life or someone who just needs a common ground to, to live in, to be able to share the common space with somebody who they identify with. Just the same as what people with rape traumas, mm -hmm. person with um, domestic violence issues. We all have different grounds, but it's a safe ground at Share Village, Las Vegas. We have food pantry every single day, mm -hmm. 6 a.m. to 7 a.m. We s serve Starbucks every day. Wow. Lots of Starbucks. We serve... Sounds like heaven. <laughs> 8 to 10 every day. We serve... Um, full-service food pantry. Now, we've started a drive-through pantry. All they got to do is go on our website, which is www.sharelasvegas.org, mm -hmm. and you can click on the the to go the mobile order, uh -huh. and it tells you. You just tell how many people are in your family, what you need, all that stuff, and wow. you wow. can get all the service you need. If you need diapers, we got that. If you need uh, dog food or cat food, we got that too. Wow. You need hygiene products if you're a female and you're out there and you're homeless and you need supplies to be able to take care of your own personal hygiene. We have that too. Um, also for men. Mm -hmm. um, there's lots of things we do. We also have a partnership with Anthem. Mm -hmm. So we are able to help people to get the pamphlets and apply for Medicaid. Mm -hmm. If you have lost your job recently and you're seeking a job, we have job resources and referral information. There are so wow. many things that we do for the community uh, to try to help. We also partner with the courtyard, and we house yeah. people from the courtyard at yeah. one of our properties. We partner with Safe Nest, um, Southern Nevada Adult Mental Health. Wow. Um, the VA. Yeah. So many different agencies, um, U.S. Vet, Salvation Army, mm -hmm. Catholic Charities, Las Vegas Rescue Mission, um, the care complex. Mm -hmm. You know, there's people that don't realize that the care complex down on 200 Formester Lane. Mm -hmm. You know, they can go there and get help with their IDs, birth certificates, those kind of things. Wow. Um, but our property that a person can come to and get food seven days a week, 365 days a year now that this lovely uh, virus has come around. Right. We are at 50 North 21st Street, and everybody's welcome. You don't need anything. Just bring yourself, come, uh, come in, get what you need, and we love and appreciate people. We, we want them to feel the love. That is so awesome. Wendy, for our, our audience that's out there, for someone who wants to get in touch with you and maybe continue this conversation or pick your brain or, or share their story to connect on their personal journeys, are you are you open to that? And if so, how would they get in touch with you? Okay, so if there's someone out there that this story has touched and you feel like you need somebody to talk to and you're afraid to talk to anyone else, by all means, reach out to me. My phone number is 702 994-9728. I almost gave you my boss's number. That wouldn't have worked. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and my email, if you need to reach out to me via email, um, you don't feel like talking about it and you want to hit me up on an email, that's a safe place too. It's grant, G-R-A-N-T dot Wendy, W-E-N-D-Y, 911 at gmail.com. 
And I'm on Facebook. Our business is on Facebook. Wendy Grant, Las Vegas, Nevada. And um, Arnold Salk, Las Vegas, Nevada. And Sheriff Village, Las Vegas, Nevada. So awesome. we're here to help other people and anytime a person needs help. Oh, and we have housing too. So if a person's looking for housing, you know, check us out. It's a, a, it's a good place to be. Awesome. Everything's provided for you. You realistically pay your rent. And if you can't make your ends meet, you probably are doing some of the stuff I used to do. <laughs> maybe, maybe. <laughs> well, I'm definitely going to get connected with you, you know, offline. Desert Rose Counseling Group, you know, we provide a lot of the same services. We're more uh, focused on suicide prevention and crisis right. intervention. And so um, we'd definitely love to, to link up and, and join efforts. Um, you know, with, with all of those resources here in town, it's, it's not right that we don't all know what's going on and we don't all know each other to be able to kind of wrap up this, this system of care, this mm -hmm. or have continuity of care for, for folks out there in the Las Vegas area. Um, also want to give another shout out to the Uni Podcast, the production crew. Uh, could not do this without you guys. Um, we've also got Desert Rose Gives, our new nonprofit that's in pending status. I'm so excited about that. Desert Rose Gives is sponsoring things like the Uni Podcast. Nice. and some of our other events and things that we're, we're doing so that we can help out the community uh, put people over profit with the nonprofit status. And so, um, and then I also want to give a shout out to Frequency Jewelry. I've been rocking. I don't know if you guys have been noticing. Um, I've been trying some different things with my style, you know, mask on the ear, you know, uh, during hey. podcasts. I got, you know, crystals and things like that. <laughs> Crystal healing, I, I'm all for it. Um, but seriously, want to want to give a shout out to Frequency Jewelry. Want to give a shout out again to Mental Health News Radio Network, irelate.org, forward slash uni, forward slash. And um, just want to thank you again, uni podcasters and uni community, uh, for joining us. Keep surviving. I survive for you. You survive for me. We survive for us. Thanks again, Wendy, for, for joining us today. That's and Wendy, we got to get you a uni shirt. Hey. I'm going to need that. Got to get you a uni shirt. All right, that. thanks. We'll see you guys next time. Thank you all so much for your time today. I'm your host, Bianca McCall. Remember, connect, create, be constructive. Help me and the many others doing amazing things in the space of suicide prevention and reach in to give permission to those in crisis to reach out. Please, I welcome for you to share your thoughts, your feelings, your efforts, or the efforts of others in your communities with me. Please, you can find me on YouTube, on IG, on Facebook, under my agency's name, Desert Rose Counseling Group, or you can find me on LinkedIn under my name, Bianca McCall. We also have a website where we'll be posting our podcasts and updates on information. And until next time, stay safe, be well, be heroes.